0: I'm Nigel Sprunt, the International Marketing Directorate with us worldwide. I want to welcome you to another W Talks podcast. This time, we're talking tech. Welcome, everybody. In my last podcast, I spoke with uh, Fred Destan of Stride VC and uh, Christian Dorfer of Sweet Capital, two VCs giving tips and advice to CEOs and founders on how to navigate investors during the uh, economic crisis. In the next podcast uh, in the series, I'm delighted to be joined by another great name and a rock star in the European tech ecosystem, Carlos Espinal of SeaCamp. Welcome, Carlos. How are you? Hey,
1: doing? great. Thanks for inviting me, James.
0: Yeah. So, how are you bearing up in this time at the moment?
1: Yeah it's 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 a it's a very introspective period of time for me, and and I think for a lot of us as we evaluate not only how things, you know, are, are affecting many people around the world, but also how we can come out this stronger.
0: Yeah, I totally, totally, totally agree. And you're, you know, you're normally the one who's asking questions on the Camp podcast this much, I know, but, uh, now the tables are turned and you're now going to be answering the questions for me. So, um, I'm really keen for the listeners to hear about, uh, your experiences. Um, your what uh, what you've learned through the uh, the cycle the last uh, sort of economic downturns, and um, your thoughts for the future. So, um, I really want to start off with um, giving the listeners here a bit of a background as to how you got into tech in the first place. Let's say.
1: Yeah. No. Thanks. Thanks for that, James. Well, um, I'll I'll kind of do a bit of a brief background as it pertains to to this particular kind of circumstance. Um, in that I've been in two cycles before and the first cycle I was in a startup at the time um, it was it went through a couple of name changes and it no longer exists but at the time it was called Baltimore Technologies and one of the challenges um, that affected it was the the whole startup.com collapse and I went through it as somebody who was within a company and witnessing a lot of the the challenges prior and right after the, the collapse and how it affected everything from uh, staffing and layoffs. And, and you know, it was a very painful period, but it did give me an insight. And actually, I do look back on that and, and see how some of those things unwound in ways that I expect, you know, uh, will play out for some companies and are playing out for some companies uh, from the inside. And then fast forward, I worked as an engineer for, you know, three, four, actually, no, you know, for, for about four, four and a half years or so before I um, switched over to investing, and I've been doing that now for over a decade. Um, and I, I moved to Europe because, you know, in many ways, uh, I had I had one family member over here, but it seemed like a really exciting time for a European venture. Uh, it was at the very beginning of of the growth spurt, and you know, you were a catalyst in that, and, and the, the brand that you guys have built was was a huge catalyst in that. And longtime supporters of Seedcamp, but it's amazing to see how much. You know has has been uh happening since then but one of the interesting things was that Seedcamp camp got started literally at the financial crisis and and at the time Seedcamp camp um seed camp was kicked off through a, effectively a group of investors that came together to support the ecosystem and i was in one of those funds that supported Seedcamp camp in the early days uh, it was called dowdy hansen and so my second Crisis was through the eyes of being in a fund rather than within a startup and and that's kind of the 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 basis by which I wrote a blog post that, uh, in the two thousand and eighteen period around sort of there was a little bit of a financial dip um that was pretty severe at the time, but we recovered from and had a really nice sort of market rally at the end of the bull market. and you know it was perhaps maybe a year too early, but uh, it was a, a blog post, basically distilling down some of the lessons that I recall uh, happened during that time of 2007, 2008, when a lot of companies were struggling, um, in not only in fundraising but also just you know in uh, in managing their investors and in managing fundraising. And so I wrote that blog post down and and enumerated six points uh, that kind of represented some of the behavior that I saw.
0: So. So I w- I, w- I want to jump in here cuz uh, for those um for those listening the the blog post is is called weathering your startup uh for any financial climate the third way uh Published on September, sorry, October 17, twenty eighteen. Really interesting read if you if you can find it, and we'll link it through with the uh, with the the blurb on this uh, this podcast too. Um, but uh, so, just can I can I ask one question at this point? Seedcamp, sure. Um, the, the the emergence you said uh, emerged out it is sort of at the start of the economic crisis. So two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine, was that when Seedcamp first started off?
1: So it kicked off in two thousand seven, um, and and we invested in two thousand eight nine and 10, uh, whereby we kicked off our second fund in 2010.
0: Yeah. Okay, great. And, um, uh, and for, so, so that, that, that's help that's helpful uh, background, I think. And um, coming back to the blog post now, so I, I interrupted you, you said there, you, you had six points. And I, and I agree, if, if you can, if anybody can come back and, and read this, it's a really fascinating read, um, not, not least for, because it, it looks to the future as well. But uh, look, Carlos, I'll, I'll hand it back to you.
1: Well, I, I i'm I'm to to spare the listeners, I'm not going to read them, but I'm just going to try to link them up in 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 the way that they kind of manifest themselves, and then it's sometimes it's easier to verbalize. And what was interesting was that it really highlighted the interconnectivity of the ecosystem. Um, prior to two thousand and seven eight, you know you started having a, a nice uh, ecosystem of startups that were um, getting contracts from larger companies and those larger companies were benefiting from larger valuations because of the, the overall stock market and investors were generally quite happy with other investors marking up the valuations of those companies. And so when, when there's a crisis, those interdependencies unravel and what you end up having is, is a combination of things and the order in which they happen is, is the tricky thing, right? Because they don't, they don't unravel all at the same time. But basically, it starts from the very beginning, which is like the, the bigger companies, the, the companies that generally are doing acquisitions, effectively that mergers and acquisition market starts drying up. And therefore, um, and, and it dries up because there's shareholder pressure and there's fear internally around costs and the best way to use and manage cash. And so that 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 sort of pause creates a knock-on effect on investors' expectations as to what they may be able to... Uh, eventually have a company become in terms of of value. And so with that mentality, there's a paralysis moment with investors regarding how to potentially invest in companies. Without having visibility on how the market is going to price the companies, the public market, at an exit, it it becomes hard to price it at the entry point, especially for later stage investors, which then creates uh, a little bit of a, a supply of capital constraint for companies that are growing. Because those companies that are growing now have a capital supply constraint, there is layoffs, there is a lot of these kinds of contractions to survive. With that, there's a lot of other smaller companies who sometimes have contracts with those larger companies, some more established companies as well. So some of those contracts get canceled. As those contracts get canceled, you then start having companies running into cash flow challenges, and then you start having um, even smaller funds affected by their company portfolios who are now um, being written down or failing because they were unable to keep contracts with larger companies so that's kind of like a a very summarized view of how these things can it's like a domino effect like one thing knocks on another and on another and they're all interconnected but that's how they start manifesting themselves both at the public markets at the large company basis at the hr level and between larger and smaller
0: funds so so does that mean therefore I mean there's going to it is a domino effect by the sounds of things and that um we should expect this to uh you know have a, a long tail to it in in our, in in our sector do you think so there's going to be uh you know we're going to feel the effects of this for some time to come
1: sort of and and this is where it gets really interesting and in the way that you know we're we're living in a very this this particular chat we're having James today is on the tail end of this recovery, this last month of the public market recovery, and in particular, certain companies are faring the storm better than others, and it has to do with the very nature of this contraction. Of course, I'm not a financial analyst, so you know I'm just giving you one person's perspective. But it's interesting because obviously, some sectors are more affected than others, right? Clearly, some sectors are devastated, and other sectors, um, you know, to pick on uh, companies in our industry, uh, are, are benefiting from it, you know, because of, of the need for more online entertainment. The need for more online communications tools and more collaboration tools, and so I think unlike uh, some of the crises in the past, each one is very unique. And so w- the things that you can generalize are the supply of capital on average and the the movement of capital on average, but on the sort of value creation, not everybody's uniformly affected, and not everybody's uniformly uh, penalized, and so. We benefit from being in an industry that is driving value growth and can, can is largely software driven or, or has some value creation in the software side of things. So even if we nobody knows what's going to happen with COVID, but this is a very um, inspiring thing for a lot of tech entrepreneurs because you can you can think about um, the opportunity that a tech entrepreneur has as one that can be a, a huge facilitator in the recovery, but also in in providing services for people during this time and and therefore weather that storm without having to necessarily be affected but as drastically as some other industries
0: are. Yeah. So we, which brings me beautifully onto the, the, the sort of next point I wanted to raise, which is, um, which is that necessity does breed innovation. We know that. And, mm. uh, you know, um, and certainly in the last recession, if you like, um, the economic mm. downturn, um, was the emergence of the uh, the fintech phenomenon, which you guys um, backed so brilliantly, you know, TransferWise, Revolut, others, um, who all emerged from that uh, really tough period. Um, mm-hmm. Can I just bring it back round to now SeedCamp and how, as an investor, you're looking at the sector and you're saying, okay, where, where do I see, and, and you've To be to be honest, you've you've touched on it already. But Mm -hmm. for the listeners, where do you see maybe some of those hot new sectors emerging, and what you're you're expecting to be the case? Not not just temporary, perhaps transitional ones, but the ones maybe that can really have a long term effect.
1: Yeah, happy to walk through those. I'll probably um, prepend the answer with uh, innovation and interest doesn't always just come from sectors; it can also come from Ways of operating. So I, I think that what what this what we're looking at is a transformation not only in which sectors will will potentially be stronger um, because of the interest and and the attention that people have in in during this period and, and the limitations they have, but also there's probably new ways of uh, contracting and pricing and and collaborating, which are also unique. Because they can add a different angle, of value to established sectors. So, for example, um, typically you would have like a design studio, uh, you know, with a bunch of designers, and maybe they're all working in the same space or architects. But and and designing of itself might not necessarily be um, the, an industry that you would think is, is super fast growing. But you know, you saw Figma uh, raising a huge round, and um, and it's an online. in in effect, helps designers collaborate. And so, you know, I'm overgeneralizing it for the sake of of, of the quick summary. But what's interesting is this migration towards um, online collaboration and how that transforms potentially sectors that were otherwise perhaps dormant to some extent, and affects much more than how other people typically think of, of sectors that you know, may have been established for a long time with a, one particular way of operating, but with new ways of operating, it becomes ten times more interesting. Another example would be um, same in that same space of collaboration. What does what does a meeting around the analytics and KPIs of your company look like now versus you know a year ago? And you know, we're investors in a company called Graphy and it's trying to tackle that very same thing. You know, taking same of some of the same similar concepts that. You know, Figma is applying to one area, Graphy is applying to another, and so to to sort of rattle off a few other areas that are interesting, moving away from this idea that not just how you do things matters, but like which sectors. I think that was the original intent of the question. It's not like just how you do things, um, but also sectors. And you know, I think what's going on at the moment magnifies the need for proactive healthcare, and I think healthcare has always been an interesting. Area of investment, and it's gone through a similar challenge as the early days of fintech, where there's a lot of fear and regulation around un- unpacking uh, services that were all delivered by big stalwart companies. But we're seeing an increase um, tolerance for how to how to support uh, people and the services that they're willing to uh, engage with in order to be able to have a more proactive type um, uh, lifestyle where they're in charge of their own health rather than being victimized by by a situation that surfaces much later in their life. And so that's a huge area of investment for us. we've made several investments there in terms of diagnostics, in terms of uh, tracking, in terms of uh, collaboration, in terms of support, uh, mental health, reproductive health, um, aging health, anything like that. Those are huge areas of, of, of continued growth. Um, another area that is gonna to continue to deliver is FinTech. I think FinTech is now fragmented into different types. Um, it's not just a general category anymore. You know, there's InsurTech, uh, there is gonna be um, far more growth and in, 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 in innovation is gonna to have to happen in PropTech with a lot of uh, people rethinking about property and, and property management. So, you know, back to my original point, it's not just a sector, it's how you deliver that sector. What is gonna happen with all those properties that maybe people no longer need because remote working works? That doesn't, that doesn't mean that those properties are not gonna have value. They might just be repurposed for something else. You know, and how does that look like? So, and how, what software is required to help manage that? And so there's gonna be continued pressure there, um, but continued innovation in FinTech. As I mentioned uh, already, remote work and collaboration, online entertainment, you know, what is online entertainment going to look like? Clearly, there's the Netflix of the world, which is like centralized content generation. But, you know, there's a lot of user-generated content and there's going to be a lot of educational uh, technologies that are going to be uh, driven by this need that people have now identified from being at home with kids um, and needing support in many different ways. So, you know, those those are just some general... Um, themes and of course there's the underlying themes which have always been there and that are going to continue to be there like cost efficiency stuff like AI and and computer vision and and ro- robotic process automation those are things that are just generally like trends in humanity where we're always optimizing for efficiency sustainability goals and and, and energy efficiencies so those are just trends that are I, I think aren't specifically um, brought to light because of what's going on, they're just always going to be there as humanity continues to drive for increased efficiency.
0: So it it, it 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 all sounds still fairly optimistic. And and do you think as as an investor you still see you know you can see the the silver lining here or, or the, the the opportunity?
1: Yeah, for me the key thing is that it's easy sometimes to lose focus um, about the fact that there is. A huge need for all of us to be back uh, in in work and employed and and healthy and eating and and communicating and even though there's this is a finite period it will end and all those needs will come back and it will come back even stronger and it provides so many opportunities because of the pent up demand that people will have for all those things it's that you know being a tech entrepreneur right now is is super exciting. Because it, it gives you a chance to potentially rethink how uh, to approach the market now and when um, people start coming out again and start reengaging and start looking for employment. You know what will the future of employment look like? What will the future of of restaurants look like? Hospitality look like? And you know those are some of the most affected sectors. But it's not like tomorrow we're not going to want to go um, somewhere other than our postcode uh, to. To holiday or to visit or to visit relatives, so what is the world going to look like then? and I think if, if you keep one eye looking towards the best opportunities today to get there, I think it's a very exciting time um, to try to to try to look at the future and see how we can best serve it
0: yeah so and and therefore, shout out to the next gen entrepreneurs out there who may be on you know going down this journey for the first time or considering starting up a business um your it sounds like your message is this is a good time to do it
1: yeah it's it's funny that Seedcamp started in 2007 because and we saw a lot of people who were leaving financial services companies that were imploding and some of those companies ended up being some of the most powerful companies that we see today especially in the fintech space so when you look back you know a decade you think, wow, that flew by, and look what, where we are today, and all those founders that generated all that value creation. So, if, if you're a young founder or um, somebody who's considering starting a company, in and thinking this is like the worst thing ever, the worst time ever to start a company, you know, with the with the 2020 hindsight, it isn't. It, it's actually a very interesting and exciting time to look at what humanity needs and start building something for it.
0: I, I completely agree. Wise words. Uh, and dare I say it, um, pretty optimistic too. Um, and as we well know, I mean, we set up Jagshaw Baker during the last recession, and grew that business really quickly uh, with your and Seedcamp support, of course. Um, so I've, I've got to agree with you. I feel like this is a great time to look at ways to challenge the norm and uh, maybe look at uh, business, uh, starting up a business. But uh, now I, I want to end on a slightly different note now and when we eventually get back to normality and uh, i'm i'm really concerned that people are going to slip back into their daily routine and grind and uh, forget of all of the bits of uh, nice bits of of uh, the the lockdown so if there's one thing that you could keep uh, post lockdown from your lockdown routine what would it be so
1: ironically i'm, I'm healthier now in terms of working out uh there's a lot of apps out there that are really great um and that's been super awesome but what's even funnier is that it's increased the collaborative and um working out with friends and helping each other out with not only social engagements but also uh, fitness goals and it's such an easy way to connect in ways that we have never done before uh, at seed camp we're doing um natasha one of our uh, team members is leading a uh, group group exercises once a week and you know i'm I'm having social dinners with people that i haven't been able to do in a while because it involved flying on a plane and i think the before it would have been almost almost silly to to say to somebody hey let's have a zoom dinner or let's have a zoom workout whereas now it's like a, it's okay and i and i think that you know it's it's in many ways it's made me feel more connected uh with with people that I haven't seen in a long time than ever before and i'd love to continue that
0: Well, I agree, Carlos, very, you know, very, very sensible. And I think uh, I'm definitely feeling a bit healthier uh, as a result through this. But um, listen, it's been a real pleasure uh, to uh, spend the time speaking with you and hearing about your experiences. I really hope that the listeners can um, can see all of the positives coming out of that. And uh, from uh, from one rock star of the European tech scene, uh, Carlos, thanks so much for your time.
1: Thank you. Thank you.